This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 576, A Conversation with Soto. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is our conversation with Chris Sotomayor. Uh, this was a great conversation with me and Chris, otherwise known as affectionately as Soto. Um, we discussed his career in comics, how he got into comics, uh, some great stories about uh, how he broke into the Marvel Comics offices when he was in high school, uh, how he later met Dennis Cowan, um, some, some great stories, and we kind of go through the breadth of his career, uh, just talking about various different projects he worked on, how he uh, developed his style, um, his first ongoing books. So this is a great conversation where we would really do a deep dive with uh, with Chris, uh, kind of looking at his career. And to be honest, we kind of went really deep until about 2008-ish, 2009, and I realized we were about an hour and 15 minutes in. I promised it would be shorter, so we kind of ran to the finish and talked about some of his more recent work. But uh, uh, maybe sometime in the future we'll have Chris back on the show to talk about that missing 10-year gap as, as well as uh, work he'll be working on between uh, this episode and a future episode. But uh, it was really nice having Chris on. It was a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. You can uh, email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, our next episode uh, will be reviews episode, with episode 577. Uh, 578, I believe. Uh, I'm looking at my calendar. I guess it's the Spotlight on Deadpool 2 episode, so that'll be uh, exciting. Uh, future episodes will include episodes with Jim Kruger, uh, Pete Woods, uh, and a, a variety of other uh, guests that we have coming up over the next few months. I think Brian Woods coming back to the show. Uh, so some exciting episodes coming down the pike as we get closer and closer to episode 600, which will be coming out in August. I think I'm finally taking a skip week. Uh, I think the end of July, uh, the show will take a, a week hiatus, and then it will come back uh, predominantly because I want issue six, uh, sorry, episode 600 to come out on the 6th anniversary, kind of like what I did last year with the 500th episode coming up on the 5-year five, five anniversary of the podcast. But without further ado, after two minutes of me rambling, you can finally listen to me talking with Soto. Enjoy. Chris, welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. How are you this evening? I'm good, Adam. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited to talk to you. But uh, just to start us off, I usually like to go way back in time before we can talk about your, you know, your work and all the amazing things you've done in comics. I want to know what first brought you into comics as a, as a fan or as a reader. Oh man! Um, <clears throat> all right. Uh, I gotta say, it's probably a tie between uh, the Claremont Cockrum X Men run and the bat- the 1966 uh, Batman TV show, the reruns. Couldn't be two different, more different things, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they both brought me in for different reasons. So, what was it about, uh, what, what was it about Batman that kind of grabbed you? Oh, Batman hooked me because of the visuals. Um, you know, it's just such an exciting looking show, especially when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and knowing that Batman was in comics and then he's also on television too. The whole thing was, was really kind of cool for me. Um, and as far as the, the X-Men run, because uh, it, it's the first time I really associated comics with um, – as a storytelling medium. Uh, and it, and the art really made an impact with me. Like these were people drawing this stuff and writing this stuff and contributing to, to, the, uh, to the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so – uh, Dave Cockrum is probably the first artist that I really identified by sight as far as their style and uh, the work they did and, and you know someone I tried to uh, to follow on X-Men yeah 
I find you you never forget kind of that that first artist that you kind of took up and noticed that you know you could pick out that artist's interpretation of a character. You always kind of remember that first one where you kind of realized, wait a minute, this you know there's a distinctive style going on here, and I like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was Dave Cochran for me. Yeah. Now, do you continue reading comics all all through kind of childhood? Um, does it ever stop? When do you kind of realize maybe I'd like to work in comics? Um. It was uh, there was an issue of Marvel Two and One. I think it was issue sixty nine with the thing and the Guardians of the Galaxy, the original Guardians of the Galaxy. And I was really caught by the characters, and I was like, "Holy crap! I I want to do this." And I remember drawing like a picture of Batman and Robin. I think it was in kindergarten. It was either in kindergarten in the class or at home at the table, uh, at the dining room table, and just thinking, "Okay, yeah, this is what I want to do." Like I was, I was in love with the idea of contributing to comics right then. So how do how do you make that eventually happen? How do you go from kindergarten to working in the industry? Uh, well, a lot of drawing <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of copying out of comics, and uh, and then I became interested in like the history of comics and and the other artists working in comics and what they were doing and what they were known for. And then it probably really hit me in high school where I, I felt like I really needed a, a good, solid education in comics. Um, probably my junior year, because uh, I had always wanted to do comics, but I was kind of – my family wasn't always that supportive. You know, like every member of my family, my grandmother especially, and my mom a little bit and my dad, uh, they kind of pushed me towards doing something, you know, because because the whole starving artist uh, – idea you get when you hear you know your son wants to be an artist so I, I got that from my my mom a little bit and a lot from my grandmother so i don't know if they were in cahoots but, uh, <laughs> yeah my grandmother told me don't do that you know go into something else go into science be a lawyer i didn't want to be a lawyer but i did like science um i like bi- biology and i like chemistry and i you know i was in all these ap classes in high school and it sounds like i'm bragging but i'm really not because i was skating by by the skin of my teeth and and during my ape my ap chem test um i had like a nervous breakdown i just started giggling and uh i couldn't get through the test (laughs) like the parts i finished were 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 good they were fine but i couldn't finish the test so i i kind of blew that um but yeah, junior year in high school, I grew up in the Bronx. Um, so I, I was traveling on the subway, you know, during my, my adolescent years, mm-hmm. teenage years. Um, so I'd go down to the village with my friends and just hang out in Greenwich Village or Midtown or wherever. And I remember being downtown, probably playing pool or something, uh, like on 12th Street at the time. There was a place that um, me and my friends used to like to go to. And I was coming back uptown on the 6th train. And I remember coming up on the 28th Street uh, stop and saying to my friend, his name was Angel. I said to my friend Angel, I said, hey, this is uh, this is where Marvel Comics is. And I only knew that because I, I would read Marvel Age magazine mm-hmm. like religiously. So yeah. I, knew, I knew where the office was. I knew what floor editorial was. I knew they were on the 10th floor. Um, I knew the editors by name and some of them by, by picture, you know, kind of like yeah. pre-stalking stalking. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. That's classic <laughs> classic fan stalking, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, very, very passive-aggressive stalking. Uh, 
hopefully more passive than aggressive. But, you know, so my friend jumps out at 28th Street and he says, let's go. So I said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm a stupid kid. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> 17 at this point. You know, so we go upstairs to the 10th floor and there's, you know, there's this desk in the reception area and no one's sitting at the desk. So I said, okay, there's no one here. And he goes, come on. And I said, okay. So again, I'm a stupid kid. So I knew to the right of there were two entrances on either side of the desk to the right was uh marvel legal and uh like the 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 law offices and all the suits and stuff and Mm -hmm. uh terry stewart's office was down that way and i knew on on the left was uh editorial in the bullpen so i said let's go this way because that's where where the action would be so we start going that way and then all of a sudden i feel a tug on my on my collar (laughs) And it was the security guard. <laughs> and he wanted to know what the hell we were doing up there. And it was, it was like 8 or 9 at night. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I had no business being there. Um, yeah. And I'm surprised I didn't get arrested or anything or, you know, cast on my way. But Tony, that's the security guard's name. Tony was really cool about it. <laughs> and I, I told him what we were doing there. And I said, I just, I just want to know what goes into making comics. And... Uh, he wound up bringing us to the back to the bullpen. No and way. Yeah, it was it was so cool. And in the bullpen, um, and this was when Bobby Chase was editing the book. In the bullpen was Mark Texera, Jimmy Pamiati, Michael Bear, and someone else. I don't remember. They were all jamming on an issue of Ghost Rider. Uh, and uh, one of the production guys named George Roberts, he was there. So Tony handed me off to George Roberts. And we got to hang out and watch the guys work on Ghost Rider. And he answered all my dumb questions and told me stuff about, like, some behind-the-scenes stuff, you know, art tricks and things like that. And I wound up leaving there with a tour of the office, hanging out with the artists for a little bit, not, you know, at a safe distance so that they could work. And I came out with a bunch of, like, posters and uncut card sheets, like the X-Factor uncut card sheets, X-Force uncut card sheets and stuff. Wow. And yeah, I came up with a bundle of stuff and so much knowledge that it was cemented for me. Like, that was what I had to do. That's amazing. So, yeah. So what should have been like a break in, breaking and entering charge <laughs> wound up being a really awesome experience and, and just a, a very important learning moment for me. For sure. Hopefully that security card didn't get fired the next day. No, I would visit him from time to time after that just to hang out with him. Oh, really? And I'd bring up coffee every once in a while. Yeah, he was totally cool. And if there was ever someone in the office, you know, he'd maybe sneak me in the back or let me take a look at some of the, the stuff that came in. You know, as long as I didn't touch anything and I was always very respectful. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and then when I finally broke in and I would go up to the office, I purposefully one day hung back. So that I could see him and let him know that, you know, I broke in. I'm, I'm working at Marvel now. Oh, wow. That's that's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was that was a big moment for me. I'm sure you're you you're you the one person who broke in of the many teenagers he let in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were his, his pet project to make sure that one of these guys would finally get through. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that story. I love that memory. So how do so how does how does breaking in then happen? So as you said, you're you know you're you're in you're in high school, you're learning, you're 
deciding this is really what I want to do, how do you first kind of make that first big break? What What is the first break? Uh, well, the, the big decision for me was going to art school. So I applied to a few art schools in the city. Um, I made it into School of Visual Arts, which is on – it's in Midtown Manhattan. Okay. Um, main office is on 23rd Street. Uh, yeah, so I, I made it in there. I did the portfolio review and everything, and my stuff really sucked. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I didn't get any scholarships or anything. Uh, and, and I wound up having to pay for most of my education myself. Uh, my parents took out a, a loan on my behalf, but then I had to make it up with another loan and then just try to earn some money to, to you know, put it all together. So I took a part-time job at uh, a D'Agostino supermarket on the west side. The, the, they had campuses on the west and east side. Okay. Um, and the main... The main building was on the east side, 23rd Street. So, yeah, so I had this part-time job at D'Agostino's on the west side. It was like a block or two after this comic shop that I used to go into. Um, and I noticed, and this was like around 90, let's say 91, 92. Uh, yeah, I noticed Dennis Cowan would come into the supermarket every once in a while because his studio uh, or maybe his apartment was like on the next block. So he'd come in and, you know, I'd leave him alone the first couple of times, but third or fourth time he came in, I approached him and said, hey, I'm a big fan. I'm trying to break in. Do you have any advice or uh, do you ever need an, an art assistant or anything? And he looked at me and he was like, hey, I, I want to introduce you to somebody. And he told me he was doing a signing at that comic shop. So I went to that comic shop and we spoke there and he introduced me to Michael Davis. And this was when they were putting Milestone together. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, so I got to see like a bunch of the stuff that they were putting together for the, like the Bible and character designs, and this was when Icon was first called Paragon, so they hadn't really settled on Icon yet. Um, and uh, so I'd go and, and talk to Michael and Dennis, and Dennis was very nice, and so Dennis is responsible for me like breaking in. Um, but Michael actually took me into his studio, and he had a very unofficial like new talent program that he was running and in this you know class was uh bernard chang john paul leon sean martinborough oh wow dennis dennis calero yeah <laughs> so it was, it was all these guys in there and uh so i'm i'm there with these people and this was just before john paul leon got his first gig at uh dark horse which is a, a robocop book um so i'm there with all this incredible talent and we're getting homework assignments and Michael asked me to kind of be in his studio, so I was like an intern in his studio for a while, just doing organizing, and uh, every once in a while he'd let me do layouts or something or draw backgrounds or whatever. So I got a feel in this studio for the whole business of art, um, which was great because I ran out of money and couldn't finish going to, to college, to art school. So, yeah, when they when you don't have money, they don't let you back in. Um, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> So I, I was able to supplement that education with actual real-world experience working on, like, comics and movie posters and storyboards and all this other stuff. Uh, and then every once in a while, I'd go in with him to the Milestone office. I'd help out at conventions. So I got to see a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, and I got to meet artists, and it, it was a really great experience. And when Michael broke away from Milestone, uh, he did another deal with Motown. Uh, uh, for an animation department that was also producing comics. And Michael brought me and a few other guys from the studio 
with him. So we became editors and kind of steered a lot of the production and the creative, uh, the creative stuff behind those books. Wow, that's an, you. You have incredible stories. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Like it's it's yeah, that's just fascinating. That such a happenstance encounter ended up becoming such a you know an important step in your career. It really was, and I could not have imagined that you know breaking trying to break into Marvel you know after hours would get the juices flowing and then you know getting because that was really the linchpin behind me deciding to go to art school and then having to pay for art school uh really got me over to uh to that stupid supermarket (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting what can sometimes shape your life right these small decisions and something as simple as i need a job uh, ends up changing your entire career yeah yeah you wouldn't think that there would be any kind of of binding thread but yeah it all just came together i was i was very fortunate so how do you become a colorist? So you're, you know, you're interested in you know, the, the making of comics and how to make comics. How do you end up settling on becoming a colorist? Well, in Michael's studio, I did a lot of everything. Right? Okay. So I, I, I penciled backgrounds. I inked backgrounds. I did a lot of layouts. Um, I did some character design. And when we went and did the deal with uh, Motown for, for that comic book line and the animation stuff... I wound up doing a lot of stuff there, too, but one of the things I was in charge of was the coloring studio, so I was going to, and that's because that in Michael's studio, before the Motown deal, we were doing a couple of small freelance projects for, uh, what was the name of that company? Triumphant. Hmm. Yeah, Triumphant was publishing a small line of books that were kind of catering to the collector's market, so each book was numbered to like, you know, 5,000 or whatever, 2,000. Um, whatever their print run happened to be. So I wound up doing some inking on a book, on a Chromium Man issue, and uh, some coloring on like a Triumphant Zero or something. Um, so I did all these little jobs, and I really liked doing the coloring. So Michael had me, at the next venture, uh, lead the coloring studio. So I was the color and special projects editor. So it was a lot of on-the-job training, because uh, I didn't really understand the basic principles of color at that point. But working with everyone at the studio and then working with everyone at the office, um, who were people that I worked in the studio with, you know, they all taught me a lot. And I got to learn a lot from Michael because he was a painter. Um, a lot of the guys in the studio were, were painters and, and uh, pencilers and inkers and stuff. So it was a great experience. Uh, again, great learning experience. So I headed the coloring department and I decided, you know, this is kind of what I like to do because it was fun. I got to work on a lot of different things. And I was never good at world building like a lot of artists have to do. Hmm. And I'm, I'm a really slow penciler. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so no one's going to wait for a really slow, mediocre penciler uh, to finish, you know, a page a week or something at best. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas being a colorist, I was doing it long enough that I, I – and I, when I started, I started on Photoshop 1. So I'm learning how to color when the, the dawn of photo, at the dawn of Photoshop. Um, but I, I cut my teeth doing color guides, so I had some experience doing both. Um, but yeah, during that time that I was a color and special projects editor, I wound up talking to a lot of other editors and, and people at other companies and um, usually at conventions, you know, doing the Barcon after conventions. Uh, so that was important to, to start making connections with people so that when I was ready to strike out on my own as a freelancer, I had some people I could hit up and you know stay in touch with. 
Now, I, I, I always wonder about the, um, the authenticity of everything that's listed on Comic Book DB, so uh, forgive me for a moment, but it does list that in 1996 you did an, an issue or a story in uh, Disney Adventures Digest. I'm curious, <laughs> I'm curious how that came about. That was, those were my first coloring gigs, my first freelance coloring gigs. Um, through working at Motown, uh, some of the other guys were friends with Heidi McDonald at the time, and I got to know Heidi, uh, who was responsible for the comic section of Disney Adventures magazine. Um, yeah, so I got to know Heidi, and Heidi was very nice enough to hire me on a freelance basis on a couple of stories here and there, even though I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and she was very, <laughs> very nurturing and uh, really helped me get my foot in the door, because having... Those published uh, those published strips were really essential to me getting like the next gig. Mm-hmm. It's funny because when I see like I saw that one, I was like, wait a minute. And so I looked at it. I'm like, oh, I, I know that cover because I, w- I would have been about 13 years old. I'm pretty sure I had that. Uh, right. I don't think I have it anymore. But I I'm sad to t- sad to know that I threw away some of the earliest work from uh, from Soto himself. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Um, no, so now that you you know you're doing freelance, when you start getting Marvel work, it seems that it was a lot of covers at first. Um, what was yeah. that? What was that like? And how did how did those gigs kind of come about? Who in your network was kind of helping you get those gigs on covers? And what was it like actually doing cover work? The cover stuff was fun. Um, Sean Martinborough. I had taken a trip back from California. I was in California during the Motown thing um i had taken a trip back from california back here to new york for a comic convention um and i ran into my friend sean martinborough who was one of the guys in that talent program class um and he at the time was doing some stuff for the x-men office and he introduced me to jason liebig who was the assistant editor in the x-men office i believe or maybe associate editor at the time Mm -hmm. uh and jason gave me my first uh marvel job which was i think x-men lost tales it was a cover for X-Men Lost Tales. Yeah. It was, yeah, drawn by Dusty Abel, inked by Drew Garassi. And then I got another one from him after that one finished. That was in, like, August 96. Uh, the next one was another, I think, X-Men Lost Tales or something, or X-Men Classic. Uh, that was drawn by Cully Hamner. Um, so very early on, I got to ruin works <laughs> of people who I admired. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Sean introducing me to Jason led to those cover jobs, and uh, I decided to move back to New York because at the time you kind of needed to be like location was a little more important back then mm-hmm. in '96. So March of '97, I moved back to New York. Uh, I made an appointment to uh, to go visit some editors. Uh, I moved back March 15th. I had an appointment to see editors on March 17th. Oh, I wow. wasted some time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I hit the ground running. So I met up with Jason Liebig in the office, in the X office, and he walked me over to Matt Idelson and Joe Andriani, who were working at Marvel at the time as editors. And, um, you know, Jason told me something, and I, I don't fault him for saying it because it was what was going on at the time. But at the time, as far as coloring was concerned, um, Christian Leichner and Aaron Lucen, they had the studio called Liquid, and their stuff was like super popular. Like, mm-hmm. You know, very candy-coated looking, nice and shiny, and really just really eye-pleasing, and they were doing a lot with color at the time, so they were really popular. And Jason told me, well, you know, if you really want to get work at Marvel, you got to color like these guys. So that kind of 
I mean, you could take something like that and just let it really defeat you, or you could use it and let it fuel you. Mm-hmm. So I decided to let it fuel me. Um, and I was like, okay, well, you know, I don't really color like that, but if that's what it takes for me to get my foot in, I'll make some adjustments in my own stuff and see what I could do. And I, I hate doing that because I don't, I don't I'd rather have my own creative voice, but in order to get my foot in the door, I needed to to do something along those lines. So I did a really pedestrian, uh, you know, a very superficial version of what, what Chris and Aaron were doing um, as far as computer coloring was going. But, uh, you know, Jason walked me over to, to Matt Idelson's office, and he didn't have anything, of course, you know, and Joy Andriani looked at my stuff too, and he didn't really have anything. But I left him... You know, a packet of, uh, of samples with my contact info on the back of each page. And Matt called me, like, on a Thursday or a Friday of that week. Might have even been the next day, I don't remember. But he said he had an issue of Deadpool that he needed color guides for, and the, the regular colorist, Christian Leitner, couldn't do color guides for that issue. So he asked me if I wanted it, and I said yes. So I went in that day, and I picked up the pages, and he said, okay. It was a Friday, and he said they do Monday. So I spent the whole weekend just sitting down with markers and colored pencils and watercolors, just painting color guides. Uh, and then I handed them in Monday morning. And then uh, Joey Andriani saw that, and he hired me to do Journey into Mystery mm-hmm. as a regular book. So that was pretty cool. Uh, so my first monthly book was Journey into Mystery, and soon after, Matt Idelson, because they shared an office, Matt Idelson saw I was getting everything in on time, and he asked me to take over the color guide duties on Deadpool. So, yeah, those are my first two books, Journey into Mystery and Deadpool. It's kind of a weird question, then, uh, kind of dovetailing off what you said about Liquid. When did Liquid kind of go out of vogue in terms of what you were hearing about what people wanted to see in terms of the visual style and the colors? I don't know that they went out of vogue. Um, those guys ended on a high note, I'll tell you. Uh, them leaving comics was their decision. Uh, I know Christian was a little frustrated with uh, people aping his style and not understanding why. And, you know, the, what I mentioned before was why, because we were getting, we were being ordered to do that if mm-hmm. we wanted to work. Um, and he just, from what I understand, he went into to video games and, you know, started making actual money. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, they've come back from time to time, and they've done some coloring jobs here and there, usually with uh, Joe Matarera. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, they were in control of their own destiny, super talented guys. You know, I, I don't think they went out of vogue. I think they were they were in charge of every step that they made. and You know, they made the right decisions for, for themselves. Hmm. Now, when when you're working on those first two books, like what what was that experience like? You know, you're working on two regular books. How busy are you? Are you still doing kind of the classic coloring? Are you still doing starting to develop more of the digital coloring style, or how did how did that kind of work at that point in time? Um, I didn't do the digital stuff yet, really. Uh, Like I was a few issues into both Journey into Mystery and Deadpool before I started doing more digital stuff. And the art styles were completely different, so that kept my interest. Um, The first first book that I started doing regular covers for, and I I really had to show them that I could do it, was Journey into Mystery, again, with Joe Andriani. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had me start doing the covers for when Journey into Mystery stopped being a Thor book and started being like a rotating character thing. So uh, 
the first arc after that was Shang-Chi. So I did, you know, a bunch of Shang-Chi covers. That was cool. Um, and then everyone started taking notice uh, that I was doing these these covers. And I told Matt Idelson that, hey, you know, I'm not going to do uh, traditional painted color guides anymore because I was very unhappy with the separations I was getting, you know, because the color guides were pretty much notes for some other place to do, like, computer color. Hmm. Um, I told him, listen, I'd really rather do this myself, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do computer color guides. So that's where I started getting really fast, I think, because uh, I had – the amount of time I had to do color guides is a lot shorter than the amount of time you would have to do a regular book all digitally. So – I kind of trained myself to do the work as fast as possible, and I learned some shorthand techniques and shortcuts here and there and, you know, a lot of quick keys and things like that. And um, I started doing computer color guides for Deadpool, and I started printing them out, you know, color matching and stuff. And I would hand them off and say, here, this is what this book should look like. And then when they saw my color guides and they saw the coloring come back from the studio in Ireland – um, who was doing the separations, <clears throat> which is really just a translation of the color guide. They saw that the separations coming back were inferior to the color guides I was producing, and if I could do the color guides in the same amount of time then uh, as you know, digital work, then why wouldn't they give it to me? Mm-hmm. So at the time, you know, Heroes, uh, Heroes Reborn was, uh, you know, the heroes were coming back to Marvel, Captain America, Avengers, Fantastic Four, they were coming back from their the Wildstorm Extreme Studio uh, deal. I think that was Heroes Reborn. Yeah. Um, and they offered me Captain America. So uh, I, I took Captain America. So I was digitally coloring Captain America uh, all by myself in the same amount of time it would take me to do color guides for a book. Um, and I was getting paid like twice as much as I would doing guides. Wow. So I jumped at it. Yeah. So I could do the same amount of work. Uh, get paid a little more money and uh, you know in like half the time in and around this time I'm just curious like what what is is there kind of a, a fraternity of colorists or like what what is what is the community like in terms of colors at this point in time when there is starting to be this shift over into digital uh, what was that kind of like to talk to other colors did you talk to other colorists when would you see each other what was that camaraderie like or was there any camaraderie um there was there was a bit uh when I started digitally coloring at Marvel, like on Captain America and then later for Marvel Knights, it was really just a handful of digital colorists. It was Paul Mount, Steve Busilato, uh, me, and then the Liquid guys. So we were the only ones coloring monthly books. And, you know, Paul Mounts had Bongo Tones, so he had a studio. I don't know how many people were in his studio. It could have been him and one other person, for all I know. But it was him, and it was Electric Crayon, which was Steve Busilato in his studio. And then uh, Christian Leitner and Aaron Lucent on Liquid, and then, like, just me. So I was the only one doing it solo, but I was part of this very small fraternity of colorists doing digital coloring on Marvel's, at the time, top books. Mm-hmm. You know, aside from X-Men. Actually, Chris was doing X-Men with Aaron, so that was, yeah. So, yeah, so it was just us doing those those core books. And then later on, they started to branch out, and they hired, like, Richard Isenov and Steve Ferrico and J.D. Smith. So it started, the pool started to grow a little bit, and that was uh, 
I think around the time that CrossGen came to be, so they hired a bunch of colorists to be in-house. But we would see each other at conventions, and there was a lot of camaraderie because we would commiserate about deadlines or <laughs> you know, about <laughs> working with other artists and uh, different techniques and stuff. So that was, that was really cool. It was, it was like a nice little club. For sure. Well, I, I guess I asked also because you're still very young and new into the industry at this point. So it's not like you're this this grizzled old veteran. You're 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 right. on the you know the pioneer of a new technique of a new way of doing colors and a very young guy as well. Right. Right. Yeah. At that time, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe not anymore. Well, no. Now, what um, what was it like going on to the Marvel Knights books? Uh, and working on some of those, and was there a different expectation on the types of, you know, colors you would bring, or uh, what type of look you would bring to the books? I have to say, I, I had so much anxiety back then on Marvel Night stuff because um, I wasn't there on the first run of, of their publishing uh, mm-hmm. initiative. Um, you know, Daredevil was being done by uh, Brian Haberlin and his guys, and. They were also doing Black Panther. Um, there was the Inhumans book, and you know whatever else, the Punisher. Uh, you know the Punisher, the Angel. Yeah, Punisher, <laughs> I remember guns, that. Whatever, yeah. Um, but it got Bernie Wrightson on a book, so I was I was happy for that. Uh, yeah, so I came in like the second wave. Joe Casada invited me on, and I think the first thing I did with them was a Daredevil one half that they were doing with Wizard. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was cool because Daredevil's like my favorite character. Uh, and it was Joe Quesada, so that was that was awesome. Um, but they had me do, like my first regular thing was uh, two issues of uh, Doctor Strange, right, with Tony Harris, I believe it was. Um, and I completely screwed that up because they wanted like a, a very limited palette kind of style, which I wasn't doing. I had kind of trained myself into this you know action comics not not action comics the title but you know like a big action Mm -hmm. movie kind of comic book style that you would use on captain america not really on like a doctor strange book that was supposed to look like uh like mark chiarello painted it so i didn't know what i was doing um so after i butchered that book uh (laughs) they (laughs) let they let me do a few issues of black panther which was great because that was over mark bright and i like mark bright um so that felt a little more comfortable, but still a lot of anxiety because now I'm following Brian Haberlin, and you know those are pretty big shoes to fill. Um, and then while doing that, they offered me the uh, Steve Dillon Garth Ennis Punisher book, and that was that was awesome. That was a great experience because I would get to talk to Steve every once in a while, and uh, Jimmy was like editing the book and he was inking it, so I'd get to talk to him a little bit. Uh, whenever I'd go in, Marvel Knights was the best creative experience for me at that time. Uh, they they trusted me. They treated me like an equal, which was freaking awesome and totally not what I had expected at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and they respected me as a talent, which I was totally not ready for because uh, I'm working with people whose work I I admired, you know, a lot. Uh, Mark Bright, Steve Dillon, mm-hmm. Tony Harris, Joe Quesada, Jimmy Palmiotti. You know, these guys, I, I've been reading their, their stuff for the last few years and just geeking out on it. Uh, so that that was a, a really nice experience. And Jimmy especially was, was excellent. He was he was great to work with. He was easy to work with, very personable. He took an interest in, like, the work I was doing and offered a lot of guidance. And 
uh, even my personal life, he took an interest in. He just he made me feel more comfortable than I'd ever felt on anything at that time and really helped me shed some of that anxiety. Mm-hmm. Well, it was probably uh, well-timed, too. I mean, as you said, like you weren't exactly feeling comfortable with what you did with Doctor Strange. So to be able yeah. to work on a book like Punisher, uh, you know, kind of launching it from the ground up and uh, and then having that kind of nurturing experience is very helpful. Yeah, yeah, it, re- it really was. Yeah, I, I credit Jimmy with a lot of of my feeling more comfortable at the time and having a little more confidence. When you're coloring, yeah, sorry. When when you're coloring um, that run on Punisher, did you have a feeling that it was going to be like? Obviously, it's lauded. It's the, one of those Punisher stories that's continuously reprinted. It's uh, you know when people are like, "Oh, sh- what, what should I read as a Punisher story?" Often, Welcome Back Frank is what's handed to them. And obviously, you're working on that. Um, did you have any sense when that was when it was being put together that that would ever be a thing that it would be celebrated like this, or was it just such an excitement to be able to work with these people? Well, again, to add to the anxiety, when Jimmy offered me that book, he was like, hey, we got a book. And, you know, instead of picking up uh, where someone else left off, I want to give you this. And it's starting with issue one. So you'll be able to set the mood and it's going to be a really big book. And I hear that and I'm like, holy crap, what the hell am I supposed to do? (laughs) You know, and then he he tells me it's Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon and him. And I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) So I, I didn't know what. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> I, I, I had I had pages where I would just stare at them for a while, just trying to figure out, like, all right, what am I supposed to add? You know, I, I was really nervous about it being a number one. And, like, Jimmy was telling me it was going to be a book, big book. So I'm like, oh, man, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, like I said, Jimmy was very personable and very nurturing, and he really talked me off the ledge. As far as that stuff was concerned, I felt a lot more comfortable um, because I could not have handled it if not for Jimmy, Mm -hmm. you know, just being Jimmy. Now, when when that series ended and then it you know was relaunched as a as an ongoing, um, you only stayed on for I think what six or seven issues. What prompted you to leave? Uh, I, (laughs) uh, it's it's kind of mixed. Like I wasn't, I wasn't sure I was doing what was expected on the book. Not what was expected, but I wasn't sure what I was doing was right for the book. Um, I was never really sure. I'm, I'm riddled with self-doubt with every project, even to this day. But, you know, uh, being a freelancer, trying to be creative, you know, there's that little bit of uh, imposter syndrome and all this stuff. And I was always questioning, well, do I really deserve to be doing this book? And, you know, working with these guys. And, and Steve was so nice to me, and Jimmy's great. And... You know, I, I've never really felt comfortable, you know, and I'm trying to experiment and do different things. You know, experiment for me back then, it wasn't a whole lot of experimentation. But uh, for, for me, it was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to try this color now. <laughs> so, you know, I, I just I was never really comfortable. And I think the editor kind of he kind of sensed that. And he you know, well, I got fired. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I had a conversation with Steve Dillon. Um, when all of that was going on and he told me that uh, if he wanted me to, to call the editor and talk to him on my behalf you know he would do that and I told him you know ultimately I said no you know I don't want to be on a book that I'm not wanted on by everybody and it would just make things really unnecessarily tense so uh, you know and I told the editor at that point that I you know this is, it's probably for the best that I go do something else because 
I wasn't sure if I was doing the right thing on the book anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so it, it was bittersweet, uh, especially when I got a call like the next month and a half later from one of my friends saying, hey, I noticed you're not on the Punisher book. And I said, yeah, you know, they wanted to go in a different direction. And then the guy tells me, my friend tells me, well, why didn't they go in a different direction? The guy's doing exactly what you were doing. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So part of me was like, son of a bitch. But the other part of me was like, well, you know what? At at some point, I just would have been phoning it in and I would have just crashed on that book. Mm -hmm. So it, it was better that I wasn't doing it at that time. No, around that time, you, I mean, I, I can't imagine switching gears more so than doing some issues of Captain Marvel, which is so different right. than a character like the Punisher. Um, and then I guess at the same time, working on uh, Cable, which I guess at the same, at that time wouldn't have been that different from the Punisher based on the direction they'd taken Cable. Um, what was it like kind of managing those characters and doing something different, especially with Captain Marvel? That was very intense. Um the conversations I had with the editor at the time, uh, who was Andy Schmidt, he was in Tom Brevoort's office. Um, you know, Andy Schmidt was talking to me about Captain Marvel because I was doing Captain Marvel covers and uh, for a little bit. Um, and he wanted me to come on Captain Marvel with Chris Cross, who was a friend of mine, like a personal friend at the time because we went to art school together for a mm. little bit. Um so I, I really like the idea of switching up from like the street level stuff to doing something more cosmic and grand and you know where I can show like different techniques and stretch my creative muscles a little differently and Captain Marvel really gave me that because there were things that I was able to do in Captain Marvel that weren't being done at that point um, like uh, I had created a digital star field that I paste into Captain Marvel's shadows so it was a little more all-encompassing than just being in these you know certain isolated areas like it was before mm-hmm. um, and I tried to give it more of a polished look not that it didn't before but it was the the coloring process was a little different before I came on the book. Um, So I was able to do all these different space effects and, you know, I was really excited by having the ability to do that stuff that wasn't really being done on on a monthly book. And then Cable was a completely different thing from Captain Marvel, so that helped keep it interesting because this was another chance for me to figure out how to do a limited palette type style. Uh, so Cable was a lot of fun, and it went faster and easier than Captain Marvel, which was good because I kind of needed the income because you know we were starting a family at the time. Um, but it was nice to have these two very different books, one you know more military street level and then Captain Marvel being this cosmic opera. It was, it was really great to keep it interesting and keep the creative juices flowing and, and being able to collaborate with Chris Cross on, on Captain Marvel was a lot of fun. He would send me like FedExes of like all this reference material from different anime he was checking out and some manga he was reading and you know we'd talk about oh did you see these photos from like the Hubble telescope and NASA just released this let's do some of this and oh wow yeah that that was that was interesting that was good times and then working on cable with uh, Igor what was that like in terms of like did you did you communicate with him on on how you were going to color or or what uh, you know what interpretations you should use or was there any kind of collaboration between you and Igor there was a lot of collaboration we would talk uh, pretty often on the phone um, Igor's from Croatia so like there was a little bit of a language barrier um, I mean, he spoke English fine, but some of the syntax was a little off for me, and I was, you know, a lot younger back then. Um, but 
that was more of, of me trying to fit into what he wanted to do, whereas Captain Marvel was me doing what I wanted to do, hmm. and you know, and Chris and I would collaborate. Um, and not that Igor ran roughshod over me, because he had a lot of really great ideas. That was more of a learning experience, where I was, because uh, because it was limited palette stuff, and I wasn't as comfortable with that as I was with the big showy action stuff. Igor was, he had some very definite things in mind, but he was also very open to whatever I wanted to bring to the table. Um, there was an issue of Cable where there it was like this underground boxing thing. And so I told Igor that I wanted to try something a little different and I wanted to experiment with color temperature. I wanted the book to start out, you know, with very cool colors and just kind of build up uh, into warm tones till we get to the, the big action where everything starts going red. Um, so he was totally on board with that. So I did that. And then there was a new assistant editor on the book and she was like, oh, this is kind of not what I like. And why don't you make this red and why don't you make this red? So it was all kind of disassembled by the time it, you know, by the time it got to the end. Mm -hmm. So not exactly what I wanted, but I mean, I, I still like working on the book and I liked working with Igor and I wound up coming up with some different techniques for some things with Igor, which was nice. Uh, there was like an anniversary issue of Cable where he did a cover where we wanted to keep it black and white, but we wanted some parts to be color. So what I decided was to have some color laying underneath the black and white and have it a little tinted, but still have some rich blacks. I mean, it's a little difficult to describe, but, you know, I was able to do it and Igor liked it. And it was like the first time like that look had been done. And I was able to experiment. Igor was really nice. Is that the one with like red and white on the background? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I know. I get what you're saying. I'm looking at it right now. The cable 100. Yeah, that was it, yeah. It does have a very interesting kind of visual to it. Yeah, I, even looking at it, I'm like, I don't even know how you do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was a big process of experimenting with uh, different layers and a uh, bunch of other things. Hmm. Now, around this time, so you start doing a little bit of cover work on Robin, which I'm really fascinated by just because, again, it's such a... You, you have the, the kind of out-of-the-world zaniness of Captain Marvel. You have the very kind of street-level, um, more military look of uh, Cable. And, and then you have Robin, which is very vibrant as well. What, what, first of all, how did you kind of get that gig doing covers for DC? And what was it like kind of being able to put covers on Robin, such a, you know, a big character? Well, there were, there were a couple of, you know, starts and stops and or false starts and stops, I should say, and near misses with DC, um, you know, where I wanted to work with DC, but some projects had just fallen through. There was a, like an impulse thing that I wanted to do and the editor was on board for, but there was a miscommunication and, you know, that wound up not working out. And then there was a Young Justice thing that I was supposed to do at the time, but that didn't work out either. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I was itching to do stuff other than Marvel but I'm, I was a Marvel kid at the time so I didn't mind just doing Marvel stuff mm -hmm. uh, but Matt Idelson had made the jump from Marvel to DC and he kind of brought me with him to do starting out doing Robin covers um, he liked my stuff he thought that I was doing well over Pete Woods when Pete Woods was uh, on Deadpool um, and at this time I think I was doing Captain Marvel where it was shot from pencils so that was like a new thing too mm. Uh and yeah, he wanted to, to bring me on to uh, to Robin and make them 
uh, a little different. He didn't want them moody like Batman or anything, so he wanted them to have their own flavor. So, you know, I was doing bigger color choices and little things that were a little more vibrant. Um, but Pete Wood's drawings at the time were so nicely structured that it was kind of a, a great good. It was it was a great job to work on. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of fun, yeah. Um, now, in and around this time, I guess you start working on, I guess, the relaunched version of, of Captain Marvel. Um, right. I absolutely love your colors on that book. Thanks. Thanks. Like, the, I, I remember looking at it when it came out, and it just felt so different. I mean, obviously, you'd have been working on Captain Marvel, but it looked so different than from before, and it was so vivid, and uh, it just it, it felt like you and Chris Cross had somehow dialed it up even more. Like, you guys were already operating at such a high level, and suddenly when that relaunch happened, it felt like the story was even sharper, the, the artwork was even stronger, and suddenly the, the colors were even more vibrant, and it was just it just exploded off the page. Yeah, that was such an amazing time. Um, I, I think that was probably a, you know, my first big plateau in my career. Uh, you know, so early on, Marvel was taking this shot, doing this book, shot from pencils on a monthly basis. It was the first book that was shot from pencils that was a monthly. Uh, Chris was doing Chris and Aaron as Liquid. They were doing it on Extreme X Men, mm-hmm. but that was every six weeks, so oh. it, was, it wasn't quite monthly. Yeah. Um, and they were a studio. They were two guys doing this one book that was every six weeks and then later on monthly. Um, I was the first colorist to work on a book that was solely shot from pencils on a monthly basis. And I think between uh, Chris and I and, and Peter David, who just did an amazing job with the story, um, I think we all got each other excited about the the prospect of doing this book we knew it was going to be or we hoped at the time that it would be a a big deal uh so we kind of just pulled out all the stops and went as crazy as we could and uh i i love the results even to this day i look back on the pages and of course there are things that i would like to tweak if if i ever had the opportunity but um i'm pretty proud of that book I'm, i'm very proud of what we accomplished i had free reign to do whatever the hell i wanted the editors were so nice to me uh, this was at a, this was at a time when I could go up to the offices pretty much you know every week or every other day if I wanted to, and everyone would come and greet me in the hallways and you know it was it was that awesome at the time like everyone was so friendly. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. It was I, I'd been up there so often that everyone, all the editors knew me, production knew me, and I knew them, and you know it was it was a real uh, there was real camaraderie in there and. and you know some some nice acknowledgments from these people like we were friends and stuff when we'd go out drinking and you know or, or to dinner or stuff after office hours and just hang out uh so like the whole environment got me really excited not that it wasn't before that but everything was really tight-knit and firing on all cylinders you know between the work and and my relationship with them outside of the office and you know then my relationship with the artist and it, it was just everything was just perfect i gotta say mm-hmm now, uh, I guess not not that long after this, you also started working on uh, on Avengers, and I to this day still think that you make Gary Frank look the best. I love working on Gary Frank. You know, when I saw that he was going to be doing the Avengers, um, it was the first time I ever pitched for a book. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I found yeah, yeah. I found some artwork online, probably from Newsrama or something. And I figured, you know what? Let me take some of this and let me color it. And it's like small JPEGs. 
right, let me let me do a color test on this. And so I, I colored up a, a couple of panels and I sent it into the office and they're like, hey, this is really nice. Do you want to do the book? And I said, yes, I do. Because, <laughs> you know, I saw Gary Frank doing like Scarlet Witch and stuff and I was so excited. And I figured this is for me. This is, I would love to do this book, you know, with Gary. Um, so, yeah, so I, I got to do that book. Like I said, first time I ever pitched for anything. Um, and they were just really awesome. It was a great book to do at the time. Uh, got to work a little with Jeff Johns in the, in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. He liked what I was doing. Uh, Gary Frank, I love Gary Frank. And I love working with him on Avengers and then later on on uh, Squadron Supreme, Supreme Power. Yeah. You know, so anytime I could work with Gary Frank, I would take it in a heartbeat. Well, and, and also on that Avengers book, um, you did some amazing colors over uh, Olivia Coipel as well. And uh, that Red Zone storyline was just fantastic. I loved working on Red Zone. And Olivier was so freaking awesome. Uh, his his stuff, you could just see the... the it's just such an amazing talent. You know, that, that Black Panther sequence, especially when he just beats the crap out of the Red Skull. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty visceral. Yeah, yeah. You could tell right then that he was going to be a superstar. For sure. Now, yeah. what um, what was it like? Again, did you pitch for Supreme Power, or how did you get that? No, that book... Uh, Joe Quesada, I believe, offered me that book. Um, that book switched editors a lot before it finally came to, came out. Um, I remember when it came out, uh, Nick Lowe was was handling the editorial reins um but joe casada said that he wanted someone with a with a more real world approach with splashes of whatever you know and he liked what i was doing on captain marvel um so yeah so we just so well they offered me the job and i was like well shit yeah i'll, I'll take it it's more gary frank um, why not right uh, yeah i'm not stupid i know what i like <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it was uh, Straczynski and Gary Frank, and you know how am I going to say no? Um, there was a lot of a lot of heat surrounding Straczynski, uh, and I just like I said, anytime I can work with Gary Frank, I'll do it. And then I was able to do like all this this I I like to think more intricate storytelling stuff with some of the characters in that book, uh, and I also got to. Uh, stretch some creative muscles with the power effects like with uh, Dr. Spectrum mm-hmm. uh, I, I'd done this crazy rainbow uh, I, I call it like rainbow static okay um, that makes sense actually yeah where you see it kind of swirling around with these little bursts of energy and you know all these different colors going around him whenever he showed up and I also tried to give each one like their own signature palette cues um, like whenever you see Hyperion, you know, there's there's usually some really warm golden light. Uh, whenever we saw Nighthawk, like everything would go crazy teal and red or blue and red. Um, and uh, uh, I think Dr. Spectrum, whenever he came around, like there was a lot of neutral colors with like bursts of whatever color. Uh, and then whenever we saw, uh, what was his name? It wasn't the Wizard, I don't think, but they call him. What they called him. Oh, uh, it wasn't the blur, was it? The blur, yeah. Yeah, when we saw the blur, it was uh, like gray and another color. Hmm. Like, so just singular color. Usually orange for his costume, but yeah, gray and another color. Um, and then, of course, uh, Princess Power, I tried to incorporate purples and yellows into her palette. 
and then oh amphibian i think her name was i can't remember her her yeah yeah just a cooler palette in general now one of the first times i have to admit that i really came to know your name so in late 2004 i started writing comic reviews for comic stream and um right. right around that time late that year uh new thunderbolts came out and you were the colorist in that and now that i was starting to review comics i was taking notice of things that maybe as a, just a casual fan i hadn't really noticed before and i was starting to notice inkers and i started to notice colorists and so in particular i really loved your your the colors that you used in new thunderbolts and again that's how i started knowing your name what was it like being able to launch that book and i think you've worked on a bit of the avengers thunderbolts miniseries right at the end but then to launch new thunderbolts what was it like to take that on that was really cool. I was starting to feel a little more comfortable with the idea of doing these number one issues, having done like a, a couple of Punisher number ones and then the Captain Marvel number one and, you know, all that stuff. Um, so the idea of starting a, a new book and then, you know, having just done Avengers, making the jump was a little easier. Um, I really like Tom Grummet. He's really detailed, though. So that was a learning experience for me in the respect of um having to economize my work a little bit more uh make faster decisions as far as what i wanted the the reader to focus on i couldn't render everything the way you know the way things were normally rendered back then i had to kind of pick and choose my spots and uh it made me think a little bit better as far as the process was concerned um, but Tom was really great to work on. I remember emailing him back and forth, him and uh, Gary Erskine. Um, that's how I got to know Gary a little bit better. Uh, yeah, so that was that was a really fun experience because it was all these villain types, and you know they, you know you, you know the premise of Thunderbolts. Everyone knows the premise mm-hmm. of Thunderbolts. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was it was a nice way to do these characters and then just do them a little bit different, and you know still make them super heroic and. Uh, just consider the storytelling more and, you know, my deadline a little bit more because uh, I would love to dive in and just, you know, just kind of blast everything out with rendering, but I couldn't do that. It, it wouldn't have served the story if I'd done that. So it was it was a different animal. But it was it was nice because it was just like pure action all the time and, and, and uh, just, just a nice flavor on, on that book. For sure. Well, and I, I liked how, I mean, I, there were so many different characters with so many different types of colors happening as well. Um, and I always liked the balance and I always liked cer- certain hues you really kind of nailed. Like I always loved the, the kind of the creepy glow of Radioactive Man, um, the way in which, you know, Blizzard's powers really kind of popped off the page. Like you really had a lot of detail. And also, you, of course, you have Captain Marvel, who you have a lot of experience with, um, coloring at that point as well. Yeah, yeah. I uh, always loved Captain Marvel. Um, I was actually invited at one point to design his costume after he went through that metamorphosis in Thunderbolts. Uh, so I, I handed in a couple of designs. They never went anywhere, which was fine because they, they all kind of sucked. And they're very derivative. But um, but that was nice because I was asked by an editor to do something more creative and artistic, you know, ground up working. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, that big cast, having to juggle that big cast was a new thing for me because, you know, I worked on Punisher, Captain America, Captain Marvel, Cable, uh, you know, all these, these books that weren't exactly team books except for, for Avengers. Um, but it was like, a, it was, you know, again, it was a different flavor. So juggling that cast and their, their different effects and power effects and stuff, uh, 
like I said, it just forced me to economize. It was a learning experience. I hate to be redundant, but yeah, <laughs> definitely a learning experience. Now, in and around this time, you also do some colors over uh, Jamal Igel on uh, Firestorm. How did that come about, and what was that like? Because that's a very different color set as well, like in terms of you know the core character and the different kind of hues you can establish. Um, how did that kind of come about, and how, how did you approach that character? Well, I actually knew Jamal for years before that ever happened. Um, like, before I even broke in, I uh, he had a friend who was in that new talent program thing. Um, and I would always, like, wind up bumping into him at conventions and stuff, and him and his friend. And So we, you know, we'd talk and we'd get to know each other from there. But actually working with him on, on that Firestorm stuff was interesting because it was coming off of you know crisscross uh you know after we we finished captain marvel we did a that run on firestorm for a little bit um yeah so kind of juggling that with a new art style i mean that that was weird because they're so different but like jamal has a lot of the same uh the same instincts as far as character acting that crisscross has Mm. maybe not as animated but uh but still, everything's there. His storytelling is great. I, you know, there there are very few people who can tell a story as well as Jamal. Um, you know, and, and it's all very subtle and quiet. So, you know, doing like the big action things, you know, you really got to push it with Jamal's stuff, um, because it's not it's not always what you would expect from him. But he's more than capable of pulling that off, which is great. PB's very he's very underrated, I think. Like a, a lot of people, they they, uh, they see some of his stuff, and maybe they don't think he's you know like the, the most action packed guy. But damn, he can tell a story, and he really draws you in. You know, I I think just with the right team behind him to, mm-hmm. to do uh, to do their, their equal and fair share. You know, I, that's why I love Jamal's stuff. He's because everything's there. You know, there's there's nothing to guess about. You know, he's just he's really generous with uh, with his work and giving you the freedom to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I really dig Jamal, and just as a person, he's a super nice guy. For sure, yeah. No, I've had the pleasure of speaking with him before, and yeah, he's super nice and generous, and he's a great storyteller for sure. Yeah, definitely. So, 2006 is interesting when I kind of look through your, you know, your, your kind of your uh, your biography, I guess, or things you've done. And it's interesting that you know you work on so many big books at the same time. You, you know, were the colorist on the the big kind of relaunch of Miss Marvel um, when she kind of got her big ongoing and became a big push that eventually transformed her into Captain Marvel years later. Uh, you were also working on the Planet Hulk series. Uh, and then also you're doing Annihilation Super Scroll, which was, again, part of that kind of revitalization of the cosmic world. Uh, those books are exceptionally different from each other. Um, how, what was it like being part of all those books? Because, again, they're all pretty highly regarded now. Yeah, working on those, those books, uh, those, were, those each had their own uh, experiences. Um, as far as, like, Planet Hulk was concerned, that was great because I got to work more with, with the writer, we got to collaborate a little bit more, Greg Pock and I. Uh, we were talking about like the Hulk's environment and and planets, the uh, the planet Scar, and uh, what Hulk's role was as far as that was concerned, and his relationship to the planet, um, and also the supporting cast. We got to collaborate a little bit on as far as what they would look like and what kind of color treatments we would use. 
Um, like, uh, like as far as Scar was concerned, Scar was concerned. Sorry, um, we decided. Well, I pitched the idea that Hulk would be the only green thing until his influence started taking control of the planet. Um, so, if you look through those first issues of Planet Hulk, you'll notice that Hulk is really the only green thing. There's nothing else green. There's a lot of pinks and yellows. Hmm. I, I tried to keep it warm and, and weird, as, as weird as possible. Um, and it, like Captain, uh, not Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel was a lot more grounded. So that was more real world. I didn't really get the the chance to collaborate too much with uh, with Brian Reed or uh, Roberto Della Torre too much, um, which was unfortunate. I really liked what Roberto was doing. Uh, that stuff was it was like really moody, but still superhero-y. But the editor was great on it, Andy Schmidt. Uh, he he was really good about, about uh, conveying to me whether or not I was on the right track, or you know, I want to do something big, heroy, superhero-y, whereas Planet Hulk was a lot more like savage and uh, quieter moments with with uh, with bigger colors, also. Um, so those two those two books especially were really cool. Um, you know, Captain um, like Captain Marvel again. I'm so used to calling her Captain Marvel now. That's okay. <laughs> that's that's fair, and that's that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, Miss Marvel especially because I like I like painting. Uh, Women, I think, are more interesting to color or work on than men. Not because, you know, because of their bodies or anything, but their acting is different. Their, uh, their, facial, their facial expressions are different. They work differently. Like, when, when you color men or when you work on, when you're drawing men, like, there are all these big expressions, like they're angry or they're happy, and you see these, these big grimaces or, or scowls or whatever. With, I find with the female characters, they're more uh, micro-expressions. The, the, there's more body language in those characters. So being able to push and pull some muscle masses uh, and some of the, the, the facial features and structures, it requires a different touch, which I find very interesting. Mm-hmm. So with the blink of an eye, you know, I, it's a fine balance between making carol like angry as opposed to smirking or laughing even you know just with the furrow of the brow and and the pull on on the corner of the lips you know those are more interesting to me so being able to suss that out and take advantage of that as far as storytelling uh that's that's very interesting and and very gratifying when i can get it right so it, it different challenges and things that I really enjoyed working on as far as, you know, just being able to do something different, but still like the big superhero action, which I love so much. Now, one of my favorite books of 2007 to 8 was uh, the very short-lived The Order, and you did do a bunch of colors on that book. But how did that kind of come out? Because it looks like you kind of came on a few issues in, were there for a little bit, and then took off before it ended. Uh, was that kind of just a kind of a fill-in job because they needed someone someone who could who was dependable who could kind of get the work done, or how did that job come come about? Yeah, it was it was just me being in the right place at the right time. They needed someone to help out. Um, and I'm, I was kind of good at the time of, you know, figuring out on a surface level what what someone's coloring style was and kind of being able to, to do a version of that without making it look like a huge break in style. And, mm-hmm. you know, so just so it's consistent, um, 
you know, I wasn't doing any, like, you know, big magical things on that. I was really just following Dean White's lead and trying not to fuck it up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, Dean is such an amazing talent on his own. Uh, I I was just trying to keep up. But, yeah, they just had me come in and, you know, wrap it up and help out here and there. So I would imagine, was it the same kind of story behind how you got involved with Iron Man Legacy of Doom? Because, again, you didn't do the first issue. I think Bauman did, but then you did the rest right. of the series. And, uh, I mean, that's a big one because that's, you know, kind of capping off a trilogy of Iron Man stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was exactly that. There are quite a few instances where I come in to, to help out on something or just to tie it up and just to keep the schedule tight. Marvel used me a lot for that. I kind of defined myself as the go-to guy at one point in my career for just for serving that that particular purpose Mm -hmm. um which isn't always fun and it's not the best way to to build a career on uh because then you just kind of you're the guy who can do these other styles and like i said it's always a surface a very superficial version that just sits on the surface it's not like i'm really doing their thing it's just enough that it looks fairly consistent um and doesn't interrupt the flow too badly it's not you know, there's there's nothing really creatively satisfying about that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I've spent the last, I'd like to think the last few years trying to change how, you know, certain editors see me and be more of the guy that they put on a regular thing instead of just, you know, help out on on a thing and wrap it up. Yeah. Well, you know, in and around that period, you did get to do, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know how, how you're supposed to pronounce it, but Genext? <laughs> Oh, yeah, Gen Next, yeah. Now, what was that working like working with, with Claremont and with uh, Scherberger? Uh, Claremont, freaking awesome. Um, I wish I would have gotten to, to talk to him a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, I grew up reading Claremont stuff, you know, nice. especially X-Men stuff. So that was that was great for me as far as a, a fanboy thing. Um, Patrick was great to work on. You know, every artist has their, their challenges and... Patrick definitely had an idea of what he wanted his stuff to look like, which was fine. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I like that open style, and he's very expressive also. Uh, and his storytelling is really good, so I, I had no real complaints. Uh, it, it was fun to work on. You know, Bro- broke up the monotony. For sure. Yeah. And, and then uh, I do. you kind of worked on some early Stegman uh, with uh, Incredible Hercules, which is always a great fun book, and it kind of kept that relationship going with Pac. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love Greg to this day. You know, whenever I see him at shows, I make sure to find him and say hi. And, you know, I, I just like him. He's he's a good person and so freaking talented. I love that dude. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ryan's stuff was really good at, at the beginning. You know, at that time, uh, he was just kind of getting his feet planted. Um, yeah. But you could see again, you could see like with Olivia, you could see those those bits of, of, uh, of just sheer talent you could tell he's going to be a big name mm-hmm. now you got to do the in terms of th- something a little bit thematically different you got to do the colors for uh, lockjaw and the pet avengers um <laughs> was that uh, i know like how did that get you know did that get pitched to you or did you hear about the project and say i want to color that and how did you kind of approach something that is decidedly different and and not your typical book um yeah that came to me from the editor from nate cosby uh chris Heliopoulos. Chris Heliopoulos was writing it, um, one of his first fewer uh, writing endeavors for Marvel. Uh, and I think he suggested me, which was very sweet of him, another awesome guy, 
I love Chris too. Um, and Nate, at the time, he was working at Marvel, and I loved working with him. Uh, he was one of the co-editors on, on the Planet Hulk stuff, so I'd gotten to know him, you know, pretty well. Um, that just kind of found me, and you know, just very happy to do it. I actually worked with one of my studio guys on that too. It was, it, it was, uh, it was a time I think I just had a lot going on personally, so I had one of my studio guys. I, I run a coloring studio, an art studio. Um, and his name is Jeremy Roberts. He helped me out on those issues, um, and that was that was really fun because it's you know it's talking pets and who doesn't <laughs> like talking pets? And I like the idea of doing something that was a little more all ages because my kids were younger back then, and I wanted them to have stuff to read. And you know that was that was a fun book working with Ig and you know just a, a different kind of flavor. I like doing different things. I always like doing different things. And that couldn't have been more different. So for sure, well, it allows you to challenge yourself and try and stretch yourself, right? So you're not just doing the same thing all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so again, I have a question, uh, a weird one, but uh, on Comic Book DB, you're credited for doing the colors on the uh, Clone Saga trade paperbacks, or at least a couple of them. Is that true? Did you kind of touch up the colors on the original art, or how did that kind of come about? Uh, I think those might just be covers. It is just the it is just the covers. I'm just curious, like because yeah. it's, it's a lot of it's the original art from the original issues. But did you kind of right. add new newer colors to kind of give it a little bit more of a modern look, or how did you kind of get brought into that kind of project, or is this kind of the same type of thing? They needed somebody. They know that you're solid. They bring you in. Um, I'd, I've done a few of those gigs where they've uh, given me artwork from you know whatever original run of whatever. And they've used them for trade paperbacks. And they always tell me, uh, hey, you know, we want this to have a more modern look. And then they just kind of let me go and do what I want to do. So, you know, I've done some of that stuff for some of the essentials where they they have, you know, recolored covers and some of the, the, like, Legends trade paperbacks and um, then regular trade paperbacks like John Byrne, Legend John Byrne's Fantastic Four and uh, Marvel Comics Presents. Yeah, they'll give me old cover artwork and they'll have me do like a modern take on it which is always nice and then they let me either use the uh sometimes i use the original colors as a guide of you know what they want and a lot of times i'll i'll respect what's being done what had been done before i should say and i'll just add my own like flair to it mm-hmm. so that's that's always fun because it's usually stuff that i grew up reading so it's a nice kick for sure. Now, we've stolen a lot of your time today, so I do apologize for uh, the, the length of this interview. So I'll, I'll jump to current. I just want to – I'm curious uh, what it's been like working on Justice League most recently. Justice League was awesome. I got to work with Pete Woods again. <laughs> I love Pete Woods. Um, but again, a lot of anxiety because Pete does a great job coloring himself mm. on, uh, on that Justice League uh, anniversary issue. Um so I, I was very nervous stepping in for that, that issue and, and uh, lending my colors to that. But, you know, Pete's so nice. He, he actually asked for me to color the book, so that kind of eased me a little bit. And then I did a couple of uh, Justice League of America books, um, another anniversary issue. That was a lot of fun because uh, I worked with a pencil that I worked with on, on Nightwing and Miguel. Mm-hmm. And um, I like his stuff. It's very organic, which I, I, I always dig. Uh, and you know it's it's Justice League. Who doesn't like Batman and you know Killer Frost and Lobo? Mm-hmm. All those characters are a lot of fun. So, and I haven't dabbled enough in DC yet. I'm, I'm hoping to do more DC stuff. 
Well, a, a quick Pete Woods question. So he's actually going to be doing the podcast in a couple of weeks. Is there anything awesome. I should anything I should ask him? And then at the end, I can say Soto asked this. <laughs> uh, Pete, wow. Um, you know, it's so odd. We we started our careers together, and we got to this point. You know, not really together because we both diverged. He's so he's so goddamn talented. That kid. Um, I say kid like, you know, like we're not like close to the same age. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I can't think of any any questions I would ask him. I mean, I've asked him stuff myself. Like, oh, for sure. Yeah. Or, or any, 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 got, oh, Deadpool pages. <laughs> any stories I should try and pry out of him or anything that I should ask him about a specific story that uh, you think that he should mention? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I wonder... I wonder what his thoughts were starting out on Deadpool because we were both starting out together and then working with Joe Kelly. You know, I wonder what his take was on all that stuff going on because they were even juggling some of the, the art chores after a while between him and I think Shannon Denton. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm always just curious about snapshots in time. For sure. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really what... Uh, like what motivated him to take more control over, you know, the artwork in in a whole package kind of way? Because like he was still doing just pencils for the longest time on Robin, and then I, I was busy with stuff, and then I look up and he's coloring his own stuff, and I'm like, holy crap! And it was so gorgeous. You know, it was obviously a lot easier for him to learn how to color than it was for me starting out. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you can tease us about that's upcoming for you? Uh, well, I did just wrap up uh, the X-Men Red Annual, which has some really nice Jean Grey moments in there. Um, and I'm, I, I get to work with Pascal Alix again, who I worked with on Electric Ant, okay. which was another like super different book that I was able to experiment on. Uh, and I love Pascal's stuff. It's just it's, – it's awesome. It's well-structured. Again, it's organic. And it, it's shot from pencils, which is always nice because you get to see Pascal's – real pencils in there um and i I was probably a little too heavy-handed at times but (laughs) you know it's it's, his stuff is just so gorgeous uh and then you know i'm doing some stuff for lion forge i'm doing noble i'm taking over coloring chores on noble and uh and summit so that's that's always fun i like getting it on the ground floor of stuff like that Mm -hmm. um and then you know hopefully more marvel and dc stuff on the horizon okay and I'll, i'll ask you one last question just to put you on the spot um who are your favorite colorists Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> I gotta say, I, I'm lucky enough. I teach an online coloring class, and I'm lucky enough to have like all my favorite colors come in and, and do guest speaking spots for that. Oh, that's awesome! Um, but, yeah, like Laura Martin, Dean White, Richard Isenov, Marta Gracia, Paul Mounts, uh, Alex Sinclair, Jose Valrubia. Um, yeah, just all those guys are so freaking talented. Justin Ponzer, Justin Ponzer, wow. Um, yeah, you know, and they all have such different styles. I try to, to steal from each of them. Well, not steal. I try to be influenced by each of them in, in different ways, and I try to incorporate it into my own work. Like, they're all really inspiring with the way they do things. You know, just like technique-wise and their approach. It's I'll sit sometimes and just stare at their pages and try to dissect, you know, well, you know, this was a really interesting decision and, and and this was really neat and you know and like I said, I get to see some of the way they work because 
I have them do guest spots in my online coloring class. So that's that's it's really something special. Mm-hmm. Well, let me rephrase the question for a moment then and say, uh, which of uh, which of your favorite colors do you think is the most underrated? Oof. <laughs> wow. Hard-hitting questions right at the end. That's tough. I, I think... Oh, man. I really don't know. Because Laura's won so many awards, and like everyone knows that when Justin's on a book, it's going to look like amazing. And I think Dean... People just know that creatively, he's going to bring something special to, to the plate. Um, I, I would like... I, I think Paul Mounts and Richard Eisenhower are probably underutilized. I would like to see them more, hmm. to be honest. Especially Richard. Richard... Like he's an OG. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I'd like to see Richard do do more stuff. But everything Richard does is, is so inspiring. Like he did that Dark Tower book that was it was just him doing all the artwork and that just floored me. It was gorgeous. It really was. Yeah. I I don't know how like all these guys are at the top of their careers. And if they're not at the top of their careers, if they haven't reached the top, holy crap. Like they whatever the top is is gonna be amazing. For sure. Well, Chris, thank you so much for spending so much time with us this evening. And uh, I think uh, listeners are definitely going to get a kick out of it. And uh, I can't wait to see more of your work. Awesome. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Thanks. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad it worked out. <laughs>